Good morning. I bring you greetings from Calvin Seminary, and uh, it really is a pleasure to be here. Uh, we're very mindful at the seminary that our whole reason for being is to serve the church. And so it's always encouraging when I get to go out and, and see the churches, and even to see former students like Young Kwong uh, at work in the churches. So uh, I appreciate that. It's also good to see Paul again, who I met a few months ago at a faculty board meeting. And um, our family is especially grateful to your pastor for allowing us to stay in their lovely cottage uh, up the road uh, for about six days. So uh, we're really enjoying that and uh, taking advantage of that this week as well. So uh, they're not there to thank, but we can thank you uh, in their place. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And I'll be reading the first 20 verses. Mark chapter 5. And this follows the crossing of the sea of Galilee by Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus has just calmed the storm. And the disciples have just said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And then we read Mark 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. 
Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, in the good news of Jesus Christ, we are promised a kingdom that is breathtaking in its glory. It promises us the forgiveness of all our sins. It promises to give us hearts that love God and that love our neighbor, to heal all our relationships. It promises justice for the oppressed and justice toward those who have oppressed them. It promises to heal all our diseases, wipe away all our tears, and raise our decaying bodies to new life in the age to come. And we could go on and on and describe the many blessings it gives us because truly there's no good thing that God withholds from us in his kingdom. So why do we see so little of this now? There seems to be so much opposition to the gospel. In fact, many people just don't care about it. Injustice continues. The church can seem quite weak, certainly fragmented and divided. Christians seem so flawed. And Jesus takes longer and longer to come back, and we wonder, where is this great kingdom that he has promised us? Well, here in Mark 5, we see something of that same tension. On the one hand, we see Jesus come and do amazing acts of power. We see demons tremble as Jesus does great acts of mercy and love. On the other hand, Jesus seems so weak. He lets all these pigs die. He lets the Gerasenes drive him out of their land. And he won't let the man who he has just liberated be with him. And we think to ourselves, why? Why doesn't Jesus just right now come and make everything right? Surely he could snap his fingers and do that. Why doesn't he come today with all his angels in glory? And the answer that I think Mark is trying to teach us is really quite simple though it's something that we struggle to accept, perhaps. And it is that today is not the day of judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Yes, Jesus is all-powerful. Yes, he has conquered Satan. That's clear in this passage. But he's using his power. He's hiding his power in weakness. Because today is the day of salvation. At the beginning of the passage, we read that Jesus and the disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the country 
of the Gerasenes. If you look back at the earlier chapters of Mark, you will see that Jesus has been telling parables and performing miracles to teach the people about his kingdom. You'll see that he's been waging war against Satan by casting out demons. In fact, uh, in one of his parables, he, he speaks of conquering Satan by entering a strong person's house and binding that person up and, and plundering them of all their possessions. That's what Jesus is doing. And yet, until Mark 5, Jesus had always been working in Israel among Jews. Now, as he crosses the lake, he's leaving a Jewish region and entering enemy territory. And it's fitting that we see this uh, all in terms of a cosmic struggle between Jesus and the devil. In many ways, crossing this lake here is actually far more significant than when Joshua led the people across the Jordan River. You see, for For thousands of years, Scripture tells us, the devil had been allowed to deceive the nations. But now, Jesus is coming into the devil's territory. To us, it's a seemingly harmless phrase. Maybe we think it's just to move the plot along. They came, uh, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. But to those who are members of the kingdom of Satan, this leads to utter panic. That's why we read that when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And then Mark gives us a series of details to let us know that there's intense spiritual warfare going on here. First of all, he's demon-possessed. And not only that, but he says his name is Legion, and that he's occupied by many demons. Now, A legion was like a division of the Roman army. It included about 6,000 Roman soldiers. I don't know if that's exactly how many demons there were, but the point is it's something like that. And perhaps Mark's also reminding us here that they are an enemy-occupied territory. They are part of the Roman Empire. In addition, we're told that he lived among the tombs, which means, based on the law of Moses, Numbers 19, he was unclean. We're told that he had superhuman strength to the point that the police and the military and and whoever had strength in that country weren't even able to contain him. In Matthew 8's version of this story, we're told that he was terrorizing the community. It says no one could pass that way. And he's destroying himself. He's he's completely consumed by his anger. It reminds me a little bit about uh, people that we might think of in our own world, or perhaps our own even our own country here, who are so ostracized and are living so outside the law in ordinary social ways of life. They live lives of crime and violence, self-destructive lives. And no matter how much society tries to control them or solve the problem, it doesn't seem to succeed. So what ends up happening is no one passes that way. We leave them into their their rural backwaters or their inner city areas. They're just problems that can't be solved. 
And this man experiences the same type of rage that many people in those communities experience. And look what he himself cries out to Jesus. He knows exactly what he is facing. The disciples don't know truly who Jesus is. Others don't know, but this man knows full well. In fact, it appears that he is attempting to manipulate Jesus by using his name. That's why he says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. There's a struggle going on here between demonic forces and Jesus. Mark also gives us details that remind us that this really is enemy territory. Yes, it had once been part of Israel, but by now it had been Gentile for quite some time. And the best indicator of that is that they're the farmers of pigs. Which, if you know anything about Judaism, you know that Jews don't farm pigs. They don't eat pork. Pigs are unclean, as it says in Leviticus 11, verse 7. Probably in many ways, this was a society somewhat like our own. It probably looked across the lake and it saw those Jews over there with their burdensome laws. And it probably thought, thankfully, we're free from that. We're free to pursue prosperity in whatever way we think best. We can pursue our own happiness. But what we can see is that they're really under the power of Satan. And we can see that because they have no power to stop this demon-possessed man. Because although he is bothersome to them, although he causes all manner of social problems and violence, they still can't handle this problem any more than our own country, despite its pursuit of happiness and prosperity, can solve all of our problems. And yet look at the amazing thing that happens. This man falls on his knees... And cries out, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you in God's name, do not torment me. And we need to pause a second here and think of the absurdity of what's going on to human eyes. Here you have this carpenter with his motley crew of fishermen, tax collectors, and relatively ineffective political activists, and they get out on the beach, and suddenly this man, this well-known criminal outcast, whatever you will, terrorist, who you haven't been able to solve for, for years, suddenly comes running up and falls on his knees and starts begging for mercy. You see, this man knows Again, as I said, what the disciples didn't know, what even Israelites didn't know at this point, they know exactly who Jesus is. The demons know that here is a force that even with the help of their master, Satan, they cannot defeat. And they are terrified. They see what Israel saw at Mount Sinai. A blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and a sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They have what James calls the faith of demons. They know that God is one, and now they know that God is here. 
and they tremble. They know that Jesus may be coming to conquer once and for all, bringing with Him the day of the Lord. In Matthew 8's version of the story, they say, do not torment us before it is time. In other words, they knew Jesus would come one day. They knew one day their master Satan would be defeated, but they had not thought that it would be this day. They hadn't woken up that morning, if demons wake up in the morning, they hadn't woken up thinking this was going to be the end. And they fear what we read about in Revelation 14, verses 9 through 11, where it says this, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night." In other words, the demons know that they are but a breath. They are but a word from hell. And there is nothing they can do about it. The demons see clearer than humans do. We too, every moment, every day, are but a breath from God's judgment. And yet... Jesus does not do what the demons feared. He doesn't bring the day of the Lord. Instead, he heals the man, Legion. You see, what the demons could not have known, what this man could not have known, was that Jesus had not come to bring judgment. Not today. He came to bring love and mercy. He came to proclaim his kingdom, yes, but then to suffer for it, to die on a cross so that many people, even people who are still his enemies, who want nothing to do with him, might be saved. He came not in full power, but as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. One from whom people hide their faces, bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. One who was wounded for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. For all we, like sheep, have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So why did he come this way? Because he loves this man. The society probably didn't. They, they would have been happy if he destroyed himself and died, hopefully, relatively soon. But that's not how Jesus thinks. He loves this man. And in fact, he loves others in this region too. People who are going to ask him to leave. He loves them. And he loves others yet unborn, who he wants to be with him in his kingdom. The same reason he came this way in our passage in Mark 5, it's the same reason he delays now. The same reason he delays today, because he loves so many people who he is yet calling to himself. 
And it's when we see how, how terrible this man's state was under these demons' domination. When we see how terrible it was, then we see just how much Jesus loves him. It's, it's interesting to note, this man is not seeking Jesus. He's not seeking healing. There are many examples of people in the Gospels who come to Jesus seeking healing, but not this guy. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Just like many of us. Perhaps you remember that time too when you were not seeking God. You wanted nothing to do with him and he came to you and he called you out of, out of the place where you were. And brothers and sisters, there are many others out there who are still like that. They're not seeking him at all. You would think of them as hopeless cases. And yet by the power of his word, Jesus healed this man. And he clothed him. Just like us. Jesus, by the gospel, even though we are not seeking him, as Romans 3 says, even though we are dead in our trespasses and sins, at that time, Jesus died for us. And then he speaks to us the word of his gospel and heals us by his word and he clothes us with his righteousness. Even when we are not seeking him. Now, one can't just ignore such dramatic power. And what we get in the rest of this story are three responses to what Jesus has done. In each case, somebody asks something of Jesus or begs something of Jesus. And in each case, we get a surprising response. First of all, you have the demons who are in absolute terror. And they beg to go into the pigs. No doubt relieved that this isn't the day of judgment they feared. But there's no repentance here. They just want to continue destroying. Perhaps they think, we're guessing here, but perhaps they think that if they go into these pigs and drive them off the cliff and do so much destruction, they can ruin Jesus' chances of having any sort of effective ministry here. Associate Jesus with chaos and economic collapse and nobody will follow him. What's striking is that Jesus grants them their request. And if you're the disciples, that might surprise you, right? You might think, well, Jesus, these are the demons. These are Satan's people. If this is their strategy, you might want to oppose it. You might not want to give them what they want. But he does. And in the very act of granting the request of his enemies, uh, Jesus actually advances the kingdom all the more because the story now becomes all the bigger. The news travels all the faster, and this becomes something that the region will definitely take note of. And we need to remember that. When we see things going in ways that, that we wouldn't do it, when it seems like the wicked are getting their way, we need to remember that God does know what he's doing, that his wisdom is not our wisdom, and that he's working all things for the good of his kingdom. And so that more people will be brought into it. The second response we get is from the Gerizines, the people of this region. In verse 14, we actually discover for the first time that what Jesus did here was not unwitnessed. There were people watching the whole thing. And after the, the pigs have rushed off the cliff and into the sea, the news spreads fast. And, and you can imagine the story and the way it was told, this this fortune of 2,000 pigs 
is gone. They just up and ran off the cliff after this man said some things. I don't know exactly what 2,000 pigs is worth today. Maybe some of you do. But I imagine it's quite a bit. And I imagine that 2,000 years ago, 2,000 pigs was worth all that much more. Then they would have told about how this man, who was no doubt famous, maybe he was like their Osama bin Laden of their country, someone they all knew about. And, and he's sitting there and he's clothed and in his right mind. And all because the witnesses would have said this carpenter had spoken a few words. Maybe they didn't even hear what he said. And you would think that as this news spread, that anybody who, who was good, anybody who had much wisdom at all, would say, we need this kind of power. We could use this guy. Maybe we should talk to him and see if he can help our country. But that's not at all how they respond. All they see is that Jesus is upsetting their status quo. That he's derailing their search for prosperity, their pursuit of happiness. They weren't particularly interested in mercy for this outcast. That wasn't their reason for being in the world. They weren't particularly looking for Jesus to come save messed up people. They just wanted prosperity. And so they have the same response to Jesus as the demons. Lord, uh, depart from us. Please leave us alone. They have the foolishness of thinking that they can escape God. As, as Paul puts it in Romans, they presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead them to repentance. And they're storing up wrath for themselves. And this is a warning to us who also live in a prosperous country, who also aren't eager to see particularly, uh, we, we don't like social disruption. We're impatient with it, even when it leads to some people's salvation. Are we willing for the kingdom that will turn everything upside down to come into our lives? Are we willing to follow a Lord who says things like what, Luke says, what Jesus says in Luke 6? Blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, and woe to you who are rich and who are filled. Remarkably, once again, Jesus grants them their request. He, he immediately gets back in the boat. He's hardly even on the beach. And again, you think to yourself, if you're the disciples here, okay, Jesus, now we're really confused. You came here, you did some great things. It was really exciting, it was encouraging. We were going to write it all down. But then the demons ask you to let them go do a bunch of destruction, and you let them do that. And then these people ask you to leave, and just like that, you're gone? I mean, how many of you, if you were supporting a missionary and had trained that missionary for many years and sent them off to the mission field, and at the first sign of opposition, they turned tails, got back on the plane, and came back? You would be pretty discouraged with that. You would find that somewhat defeatist, I would think. But again, Jesus' ways are not our ways. He knows what he's doing. And then the third response that we 
get to Jesus is by the man who had been demon-possessed. The one who Jesus changed even when he didn't want it. And his response is so different. He doesn't want Jesus to leave. He just wants to stay with Jesus. He wants to go with him or Jesus to stay with him. He's seen the power and beauty of the kingdom. It has changed his life. He wants the kingdom now. He wants the kingdom today. And I think we resonate with this. We've all had times like this where we think how wonderful that would be if only that could be today. If only the suffering part of the Christian life was over and the kingdom was here now. There's also a bit of the new convert here, right? He thinks that everything's going to be wonderful, that he'll, he'll never be away from Jesus again. And yet, Jesus, who, who gave the demons what they want and gave the Gerasenes what they want. Now, finally, you've got the first guy in the story who actually is seeking first the kingdom and in all its righteousness and giving his first prayer to his new Lord. And yet Jesus says no. He says no. And we think again, how can we do, how can he do that? What is Jesus doing? Now it's obvious that Jesus loves this man. And we know that in the long run, this man will be with Jesus. And we also know what he probably didn't know yet at this point, that this will cost Jesus' life. So there's no question but that he loves this man more than anyone else did. So why does he know? Well, thankfully, Mark tells us. Mark says he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this is the answer to that question with which we began. Why doesn't Jesus come today with all his angels? Why doesn't he bring the kingdom right now? It's because he wants the gospel to go out. Because he loves people who have not yet heard it and believed. And it's because you and I are his witnesses. We are the ones like this man, Legion, We are the ones who will go out and tell people about what Jesus has done. We are the ones who will bear the fruit by the Holy Spirit that will help them to see what difference it makes. You see, we're not just here for kicks. We're not just here to pursue the American dream. If God's primary goal for you was to make you happy today, I think he could do a better job of it. And I think that's when we struggle sometimes, right? We think, well, why does God do all this stuff? I thought God's job is to make me happy. That's not God's job. If it was, he'd be a pretty lousy God. He has much greater plans. And right now, those plans involve the salvation of many people. Many people who hate him. Many people who hate you. But as 2 Peter 3 says, God is not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. And so his plan for this man, Legion, is the same as his plan for you today. It's that he would take up his cross, deny himself, and follow him. As Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 38, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He's not sending 
the man out in his own strength. Mark doesn't really comment about this, but we know from other passages, Jesus will send his Holy Spirit with him. The Holy Spirit will give him words to speak and will begin to bear fruit in his life so that others see that and they'll, they'll ask him. Trust, I mean, in this guy's case, it's pretty obvious. People are going to ask him, what happened? How did this happen to you? Who changed your life? Why? And he told them. It's the same for us. We don't know what this man thought about what Jesus told him. We don't know how he felt about it. He may have went through a a time of discouragement or depression, but we do know that he obeyed. And we do know, as it says, that all the people were amazed. And later in Mark, we read that the next time Jesus came to this area, they didn't ask him to leave. Great crowds, we're told, came from the Decapolis. The same region that had once rejected him now brought their demon-possessed and their blind and their lame and their sick, and they asked for his healing. Because you see, all along, Jesus knew what he was doing. So, brothers and sisters, Jesus is indeed all-powerful. There can be no doubt about that from this story. He has conquered Satan. But he's using his power in weakness because today is the day of salvation. And the reality is, to many people, that is too much of a stumbling block. The gospel of the cross was foolishness to the Greeks. And let's be honest, it's foolishness to the Americans too. I had a close friend when I worked in Washington, D.C., who was not a believer, but he attended a sort of... uh, evangelistic type study of Mark that I was leading. It was kind of like a book club, but using Mark. And he worked for a United States senator, and uh, he was very interested. He stuck with the whole thing. He was always very engaged. He was someone who wasn't just dismissing it all. He, he paid close attention, but toward the end of the study, he said to me, you know, I can identify with David. I can identify with Moses, because they're strong men. They're good leaders. They're people I could follow. But Jesus is kind of pathetic. I mean, he just just lets them kill him. But that's not the way of power. Not in America, not in Greece, not anywhere. But brothers and sisters, praise God that Jesus came as a suffering servant. Praise God that he did not come as a conquering king because otherwise none of us would be here. The day will come When Jesus will come in glory to judge the living and the dead as we profess every time we profess the Apostles' Creed. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So don't take His mercy for granted as did the demons and the Gerasenes. Call on the name of the Lord that you may be saved. Call on His name while it is yet today. And if you've believed, if you've called on his name, and it is not yet time for you to go and be with your Lord, then go and tell of all the love and the mercy that Jesus has shown to you with your words, with your actions. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that one day he will indeed give you all the things he's promised, he's shown it. 
Go under the power of the Holy Spirit. Take up your cross and follow him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess that we are often perplexed by the way you govern the world. Why the wicked triumph and the righteous suffer. Why you don't just make everything right today. We get impatient with our neighbors and our enemies who don't love you and who act unjustly. And so, Lord, we thank you for the reminder that you love them far more than we do. And in fact, that you loved us when we were just like them. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've called us to be part of your mission of declaring salvation to the ends of the earth. And we pray that we would never lose sight of that mission, that even as we go into the 4th of July tomorrow, that we would not be just people who pursue the American dream who happen to be religious, but that we would be people who pursue your dream, who are your witnesses, and who are willing even to suffer, and even to bear much suffering, in order that others too might know your great love for them. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us strength by your Holy Spirit as we do this, Lord. And we think of those who we know, our family members, our friends, our neighbors, who we love, who do not know you. And we ask that you would change them, that you would draw them to yourself, Lord, and if it's your will, even use us to do that. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.